0: This is Cody Smith, and you're listening to the Virtuous Fitness Podcast. What's going on, you guys, and welcome back to the Virtuous Fitness Podcast. I'm so excited for you guys to be here today because we're going to jump into what I consider probably the best step-by-step guide to building a quote-unquote results-based training program. So at Virtuous, every Monday I love to meet with my team and we do a little meeting on program design. We didn't do it this past weekend or this past Monday at the time of recording this show because we had like a four-hour Olympic weightlifting seminar where myself and uh, one of my good friends, uh, Van, went in really deep on program design around just pure traditional Olympic weightlifting. We, we jumped into, uh, basically did a deep dive into all the different techniques that you might see in the Olympic lifting realm and talked about mobility, the history. I mean, we went in, again, four hours of Olympic lifting Uh, for an Olympic lifting clinic and it was awesome so we didn't do our meeting this past week but this is one that I was sitting down and making some notes and preparing for the meeting next week that uh, I'm going to share with them and I thought to myself like hey why not jump on the podcast and just share essentially what I'm going to go over with my team. And this will come out, obviously, after the meeting, so it won't be like I'm letting our secrets out of the bag. So before we jump into today's show, first and foremost, I need your help. You can help me by stopping this show, heading over to iTunes right there on your phone. I know you're listening to iTunes on your phone, right on the app. And I want you to hit pause and then leave this show a five-star written rating and review. Guys, that helps us to get into the ears of more people just like yourself and you helping me is really your way to contributing to helping me to keep the show going. I don't like to take on any sort of advertisements or anything like that just because I, honestly I hate it when I listen to a show and I have to sit through, you know, 10 to 15 minutes of ads throughout the podcast it just tends to be annoying from time to time. Uh, So, I don't want to take on any advertising, but I do want to make sure that we are getting this show in front of more people. So, you can help me by doing that. The second thing you could do would be to simply take a screenshot on your phone and then post it on either your Instagram story or your Facebook story, and then make sure to tag me in it. If you tag me on Instagram, I am at Coach Cody Smith. And then, honestly, you could probably just take that screenshot and just send it to one person one person who you think could benefit from this show. Maybe it's a, a coach, maybe it's a fellow gym owner. Maybe it's a client that really likes to kind of nerd out on some of the stuff the same way that we do. Again, just send it to one person and then take that screenshot, post it on your story. Now, without any further ado, you guys, we're going to go ahead and jump into today's topic. Like I said in the intro, I wanted to create a step-by-step guide for building a results-based training program. For us, that's what we claim to give at Virtuous. In the past, I really obsessed over like competitive-style programming and I wanted to get as many of my athletes as possible to win in competition, but when I really sat and took a deep look at what we do at Virtuous and and really who we serve, I found out that people come there because they want a specific result, whether it be to get lean, to increase their performance. You You know, we're located in the Pacific Northwest, so there's a ton of hiking, there's a ton of glaciering and mountaineering type things that go on around here so people want to get in shape for that. We also have our fair share of trail runners and busy mom and dads, uh, you, you name it. We we have such a smorgasbord of <clears throat> types of people that we work with. Ultimately, they're coming to get quote unquote a specific result. So, if I'm going to make a a program for them, I have to be centered around all of the properties that are going to provide a result and not necessarily Kind of nerd out on just the sports side of what we do in the fitness realm. So uh, I've got six different steps here that I'm going to go through, everything from warm-ups all the way into how to progress week to week. And then I've got an example of what this could look like when you put all of it into play. As always, though, guys, if you have questions... In the show notes of this episode, you can reach out to me. You can click the link for Mail Cody or Email Cody, and you can send me any of your follow-up questions that you may have. Um, I also do a great deal of mentoring on the side. So if you're a person that is a young and upcoming coach or gym owner and you just want to learn more stuff like this, number one, I'm going to have something great for you at the end of this year because I'm building out the Virtuous Fitness coaching course, which I'm super excited for. But the second thing would be if you just want somebody to uh, help you to grow in this capacity, I would love to speak with you and hop on a free strategy call. Uh, And that was a shameless pitch, you guys. It's something that I fully believe. I think the place where we are in the world right now, coaches are the future to help solve a lot of the health problems that we have. So I've kind of got it on my mind that that's something that I want to do to pay it forward to the society and really pay it forward to the world. So again, we're going to jump into a few steps around what a results-based training program can look like. And again, any further questions, feel free to reach out to me. So step number one is going to be your warm-up phase. So this can be any of your, your dynamic warm-ups, any of your mobility work. That has to come first. And the reason why is because you have to prepare for your training. I can't tell you how many people I watched back in the day when I would go to the Globo gym and the, the big box gyms. People would just simply walk in, go into the locker room, put on their gear, come out with their shaker bottle of pre-workout, and they would go right into their first set. Those will often be the same people that I would see later that would disappear for a period of time because they had like a nagging shoulder or they hurt their hip or they hurt their back deadlifting or something of that nature. And it was because they didn't simply prepare for their training. The next thing you wanna think about when it comes to the warmups is that we have to get you into, we have to get our clients or you into better positions. Depending on when your client works out, if they work out all night, or if, they, if they're if they working out first thing in the morning, probably the only thing they've done that morning is get up and then drive to the gym. Their, their body is just not in the, the proper positions. Their shoulders are probably rolled forward and relaxed. Their neck's probably out of whack. Or if they work out in the evenings, they've had probably had a stressful day at work. They've dealt with kids. They've handled, you know, work deadlines or whatever stresses that may come from that. We have to make sure that we use this warm up as an opportunity to get our clients into uh, better positions for the training session that day. Injury prevention is huge. One of the huge reasons why this is important. So the question be the question becomes what could this look like? Number one, self-myofascial release is going to be something that I think is super important. So that could be your lacrosse ball work, your foam rolling, any sort of trigger point exercise stuff that you do to get the body moving and the muscles relaxed. Now, I will tell you about two years ago from recording this show, uh, prior to recording this show, um, there was this heated debate. I posted something one time on our uh, gym social media channel about foam rolling and there there's kind of this there's two camps there's one camp which I tend to fall in which is you know there are some studies that are that do support things like self myofascial release is a good thing and that it could help but it's probably mostly mental and it probably just helps you to feel better and for that reason we know that if you feel good about something you're probably going to do better at it and then the other camp is that they typically will err just simply on the side of what science says. Now, some science will say that, you know, the, the type of things that you get from foam, foam rolling and lacrosse ball work and stuff like that aren't things that are long lasting and uh, probably aren't doing what they say they are. But I will tell you that it helps. I've seen it help personally for myself. I've seen it help for the hundreds and hundreds of clients that we've worked with at Virtuous, for the people that I work with online. When I give them some self myofascial release, this foam rolling, this lacrosse ball work in the very beginning of their training, if, they're, if they do it right. And again, I'm not going to jump too much in the science of it. Some people, will argue against it. However, I've seen anecdotally that it does really, really well. Now, especially nowadays, I'm only going to believe the things that I can see and touch with my own hands. And I believe that I have seen this to work well. So for us in the type of training that we give in all the programs that we put out for our remote online clients and for our in-person group or individual or personal training clients, we always like to put this first just to get them in good positions for the day. Now, once you've done that, you can move into your dynamic single or multi-joint movements. This could be your glute bridges, your squats, any sort of band work that you want to do. You know, if you want to throw in like Cuban presses or any sort of like mobility work to open the the joints, this could be like your car routine for the shoulders and hips and things of that nature. This is where you're going to put this inside of your warm up, right after the self-myofascial release. So why do we want to do that? First and foremost, we want to make sure that we raise the body temperature and the tissue temperature. Going through ranges of motion and getting your body to to move will increase the temperature in those specific muscle groups, especially depending on what you're using that or what you're gonna be doing that day. The next thing is it increases the joint lubrication. When you start moving, your joints lubricate. They get prepared for the range of motion that is to come. And if you were doing CrossFit-like or functional fitness-like movements, we know that those movements center around full range of motion exercises. So we have to make sure that our joints are lubricated and ready to go. The next thing it does is it improves the firing of the nervous system. Again, if we can kind of circle back to some of the you know, the conversation around stress inside of the, the intro of this warm-up portion, the nervous system a lot of times can be really kind of turned down, if you will, depending on what you've kind of experienced that morning or that day before your training session. Now, when we start moving through some of these exercises and we get our body firing, our nervous system is starting to connect to our muscular system and, and, and your brain's ability to tell your body to do something starts to happen quicker. Now, if you're trying to build strength, if you're trying to build power, if you're trying to just do good in your training session, this becomes very important. Now, the next thing that we do inside of this dynamic warm-up and, and why it's important is because it gets us prepared for the workouts that day. If you're good at writing warm-ups and you're, you're, you're a... Uh, Uh, I would say an experienced coach, you know that the type of movements that you put inside of this have to coincide with what they are doing specifically in the workout. So if we're gonna be the first movement of the day is going to be something like a uh, high bar back squat or a deadlift or something like that if you're going to be doing a deadlift maybe we do something like a banded good morning maybe we do something like a kettlebell deadlift with a controlled tempo if we're going to be doing some sort of squatting movement maybe we might in the warm-up do some very slow eccentric uh, body weight squats or maybe we take a kettlebell or dumbbell and we do some goblet squats maybe we do wall sits but these are all meant to prepare us for the specific workout of that day. So, this is why step number one, if you're gonna build a results based training program, step number one has to have some sort of dynamic warm up or warm up in nature to get your client ready for training that day. Step number two, this is where we start to look at the exercise selection. Now, let me put one big caveat on this because I know some of you out there, and the, depending on where you come to this, as far as experience is concerned, know that this is a very Uh, it depends type of of, uh, conversation when it comes to exercise because it does depend on your client's goals and specific limitations. So what I'm just simply putting in here is just a very general overview of what I look at as far as exercise selection and what I, I guess in my head think that a good program should be centered around and again you guys know I'm a big fan of movement patterns and I've actually broken some of the movement patterns up in this and you'll see as I kind of go through it these are essentially going to be your big rocks when it comes to making a great training program so Again, these are also based off of training age, so make sure you get the proper progression and that you're not having somebody doing their first squatting movement ever, loading them down with a a high bar back squat or an overhead squat or something like that. We wanna make sure that we're paying attention. So uh, based off the training age, in general, when it comes to exercise selection, I think you should be doing some sort of squatting pattern one to two times per week. So again, make sure you match your client where they are. Maybe they're brand new. They might be doing something like a uh, heavier goblet squat. Maybe they might have a, a dual kettlebell front squat. Just some sort of squatting movement one to two times per week. And again, meet them where they are in their training age. The next thing is they should do some sort of deadlifting or hinging style movement one to two times per week as well. Again, with the proper progression. Don't go and have your client do a one rep max deadlift their first week of training and then, you know, a eight rep max Romanian deadlift later on in that week. So that, well, Cody said to do one to two times per week. No, make sure that you meet them where they are and then make sure you get these patterns in there. The next thing each week, your client should do some sort of single leg work two to three times per week, and uh, this is super funny because I, I, I religiously stick to this every week when I write a program for my clients, and uh, I'm actually right now doing the group design for uh, Virtuous. We like to kind of pass things off, all of the programmers, and we'll take a month. This person will take a month, and we're actually moving to where one to two people share a month, and they kind of collaborate on a week, but uh, I'm a big fan of single leg work, so the minute I started throwing my lunging, my step ups, and things like that into the training for the week, a lot of the clients were posting about how sore they were, and it wasn't that they were doing, you know, an extreme amount of volume. It just was a, a change in, you know, outlook or a change in the way that I view program design every week. So, single leg work can be your split squats, your lunges, your step ups, your single leg, um, your cossack squats, things of that nature. Again, with the proper progression, the proper progression, and where you start them, or you know, what, what type of exercise you give them have to be based off of where they are with, you know, whether they have adequate motor control, or they have adequate expertise in doing particular exercises. From there, make sure you've got horizontal pulling two to three times per week. Horizontal pulling, in my opinion, is the safest uh, type of exercise selection to use. It's the best for pos- posture. And um, it's just one of those types of things that Based off of how we live in society nowadays, with this kind of uh, anterior rotated position, or you know, our poor posture. When we do our horizontal pulling work, that is just the best thing to do to combat that. I mean, literally, it's funny. I'm sitting here right now recording the show, and I'm hunched over my podcast table, and I've got this uh, rotated position to the front. So I'm literally correcting myself right now. But um, safest, safest most important. Make sure that when they are doing their horizontal pulling exercises that you really emphasize how important technique is. If they're just, you know, if they're doing a set of dumbbell rows and they're just, you know, shrugging up and they're getting this um, scapular elevation when they're doing their rows and they're actually not exercising the way and kind of combating the postural issue so make sure that if you're writing notes or if you're coaching this on the floor that you're really emphasizing how important it is to get the proper movements firing when they are doing their horizontal pulling so horizontal pulling again your dumbbell rows your bent over rows your ring rows any sort of banded work landmine presses things of that nature are going to classify or fall inside of the horizontal pulling from there, horizontal pushing. Again, I'm going to piggyback a little bit off of horizontal pulling. Any sort of horizontal pressing or pulling movements are going to be again safest, uh, most effective technique. Uh, emphasis need to be put on side of or put inside of those, and they're going to be great for the most amount of clients, just because. Again, it's one of those bang for your buck type exercises that is going to be able to do relatively safe and not cause issues with your client's shoulders in any way, shape, or form in most cases. From there, vertical pulling one to two times per week. This is where we start to talk a little bit about mobility limitations. Now, when it comes to vertical pulling, one it, because it's a pulling exercises for most people, you can throw that in if they have a mobility limitation, but it's not going to be nearly as effective as horizontal pulling. So, Do you have to throw it in? Again, as I said before, this is just a general kind of overview or or, or idea around this, but vertical pulling is one of those things that just trains the back and the lats in a different place, and if you can have a client to do that pain-free, then it's going to be great. On the flip side of the coin, vertical pushing, zero to one times per week. Why? Because very few clients come to us with adequate mobility or stability in their shoulders enough to start pressing overhead initially. This was actually something that I just just witnessed firsthand when I came through my first CrossFit Level 1 seminar and got back to to the world and started trying to have people do things like strict presses and push presses and push jerks and things of that nature. They just didn't happen the right way. They, you know, we were taught to make sure that we can get a client to go ear in line with shoulder overhead, which in theory is great because you are stacking the system in a good, nice, safe way. But the problem is that people's T-spine mobility and their shoulder mobility wasn't quite there in most cases. So there you are kind of sitting there making you know all just go a little lighter instead and when really that repetitive use was just destroying shoulder so make sure that when your client is unable to vertical push overhead just know that you do not have to use it so an alternative to that and one that I love to use I love my landmine work here maybe in a in a group session I've got clients that are just not in this place where they can press overhead but if I Put them on something like a landmine half kneeling press or standing press or something of that nature because it changes the angle from not necessarily horizontal not necessarily vertical, but kind of splitting the difference right in the right in the middle with that 45 degree angle. It allows them to work similar, you know, the similar pattern and the similar muscle groups that they were in a vertical pushing situation, just not so much to where they can cause issues. So vertical pushing zero to one times per week is going to be my general recommendation. From there, core training, three to three to four times per week. How do we break this down? Anti-extension, this could be uh, you, in a, a prone or a supine position, so think things like dead bugs, uh, things like bird dogs, hollow holds, etc. And you'll see you'll see me kind of use this inside of the example at the end of the podcast here. Uh, the second way that we kind of view core training is a- anti-lateral flexion. So this is any sort of side-lying movement, side plank, side rotations, side plank rows or banded rows, things of that nature, are really a second classification. And then you've got your anti-rotational exercises so pallof presses holds stir the pots any sort of front rack carry or farmer carry anything of that nature uh, will typically fall into this now notice I don't just put flexion extension inside of here um, I, I do this is that's probably your number four. But when we're talking results-based training program, those three ways of doing core training is going to be perfect rather than you know, just having hundreds and hundreds of sit-ups and tuck-ups and V-ups. Does that mean that you shouldn't use them? No, that is not what I'm saying. All I'm simply saying is that these are your three most important ones to throw in before all of that other stuff. Again, the, the conversation around exercise selection, guys, kind of view it as we're looking at big rocks specifically. This is not set in stone. Don't say, well, Cody said I have to have this in every template. I'm just simply saying that if, you're, if, you're, if you want to cover your, 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 your most bases and your most corners, These are the big rocks that we have to pay attention to. So then we move into step number three. Step number three is going to be the specific way you order the session. Now, I'll kind of start off with kind of my general overview of what I believe ordering your exercises should look like. So for the most part, we wanna make sure our hardest exercises go first. So if you're, depending on where your client is, if they're doing Olympic lifting, you probably wanna do that first. If you're doing heavy squats or heavy bench press or some sort of you know multi joint movement that you want to that's the most you're giving that one the most emphasis or that's going to take the most um, energy from your client. You have to make it go. You have to make them go first. You also have to think of the exercise that you use first as the one that you're going to get the most bang for your buck because your your client comes into the gym. They've done their warm up. They're ready for their session. If you have them do like conditioning first or a bunch of single leg. Uh, lunging work, and then you want to have them do the squat, which is maybe a part of, you know, entangled in their overall goal of getting stronger. They're probably not going to do as well. So we want to make sure that we do the most important, the, the hardest exercise, the, the, the most bang for your buck exercise comes first. So that's typically going to be a compound or multi-joint and uh, most often going to be metric-based. So I use the, the, the terminology metric-based because typically the exercises that come first are the ones that we are looking to increase the metric over time. So we put those first to make sure they get the best effort from our clients. We also keep the most fatigue, or we look at this from a fatigue element, right? When the exercise requires a lot of technique or a lot of control and there's more range for error, if their nervous system is all jacked up and they've done a bunch of stuff first, you're probably like, you're not gonna make somebody do you know, a heavy squat snatch after they've done a bunch of other stuff unless their sport dictates, you know, they're doing the sport of fitness or something like that. So the question becomes, well, you know, what about power, right? What about if we want to throw in high box jumps or sprints or something like that? In most cases, you want to have those come before your your hardest like multi-joint or, com- or uh, compound exercises. So maybe I'm going to do an Olympic lift and then a squat. Well, I would want to put that Olympic lift first. Maybe I want to have my client do, you know, really high box jumps first or some sort of like single leg jumping or something of that nature. Then I would put it before. The only caveat to that, guys, would be if you're doing something like com- ta- contrast training. So, contrast training is where you'll do like a heavy lift and then something power and explosive after that. Most people say, and in some studies will support it, like you're doing uh, post activation or post activation potentiation. So, that's essentially tricking your body into, you know, if you do something heavy and then you perform, uh, you want to perform a power, uh, a, a, an exercise that requires a lot of power after that. Some studies show that that's great and it's something to do. Um, I don't use a ton of it personally, but I do want to throw this this kind of idea out there just in case you see something from other shows or you know you you've read something somewhere else, just know that it, it is something to be aware of and it, that can be okay, but it's not something that should be like a default way of doing things. Now, from there you would go into any of your single joint exercises after that any of your you know, hypertrophy work or, or things that you're looking to build muscle endurance or build muscle or anything of that nature. And then and only then, depending on um, what your client's goals are, you would go into conditioning after that. And again, aerobic or anaerobic conditioning is a whole nother topic that we're not gonna go into there, but in most cases, aerobic conditioning or mixed modal aerobic conditioning or something of that nature is gonna be your best bet. Now, moving on from there, step number four. Now we start to talk about the reps and sets that we're using. Again, this is gonna be goal specific. What is your client's function? What is their goal? What are the things that they're trying to accomplish from their training program? Those are the types of things that you have to understand and make sure you have great conversations with before you start to put in reps and sets. Now, as I go through this, just know that this is a general idea. This is not set in stone. This is just something, an idea to, to think around when you are writing your program. Um, uh, so let's kind of talk about the what I consider to be low to high in rep schemes. So low reps are typically, for me, going to be classified into three to six reps. Moderate reps are going to be seven to 12. And then high reps would be 13 to 20 plus reps. The, the thing to remember about that is that We are just simply trying to do all ranges and get a quote-unquote mixture of reps inside of a training program so that we're working on our strength. Again, we're talking results-based right now, right? So in most cases, people just want to live long and prosper, look good naked, be able to chase their kids around and, and, and live a long time. In those cases, if we just do a little bit of each rep range, we work on our strength, we work on our muscle endurance, we work on our hypertrophy, we work on um, uh, really it's metabolism training when you're doing some of the higher rep stuff because you're teaching your body how to metabolize energy in these different kind of endurance ranges. So, low, moderate, and high reps. It's a good idea to cover all of those um, each week in a training program and in each day. So. In most cases, I, I love the whole mindset around an inverse relationship in reps to sets. So typically that means when you're doing higher reps, you're gonna do less sets, and when you're doing less reps, you're gonna do higher sets. So what could this look like? Well, uh, again, not set in the stone, my friends, but 15 reps, I might use each day, one to three sets of an exercise there. From there, 10 to 12 reps, I might use two to three sets of that, again, I, I, Exercises you can plug those in, but this is just a kind of a general idea. The eight rep range, one of my favorites, I might use three to four sets of that. If I'm doing three to five reps and and working on strength, I might use four to six sets of that. And again, this will all make sense as I go through kind of my example at the end here. But generally speaking, each day, if you cover that entire rep range, again, I went from three to fifteen reps with a you know anywhere between one to three at the low end and four to six at the high end you're probably gonna cover all of your bases and give your client the exact result that they want. Now, from there, once we've got our rep and sets figured out, you might be asking, well, how do I progress from week to week? Now, depending on your client's goal, again, the the, the way that I view this is, and, and it's just kind of a mindset to go into this step with, is that small hinges swing big doors, right? So small changes are the best way to sustain progress. Now. I've also talked a great deal about the, the science to, to fund continuum. And, and I do keep those things in mind. But if we're going to provide results, guys, we have to make sure that we kind of air a little bit more to the to the science and evidence side as much as possible, and then give enough fun just to have our clients uh, kind of stay in the loop here. So one of my favorite ways to progress, especially if we're talking about strength, typically, if we just progress load a little bit from week to week, we're going to get a little bit stronger. Now, we I know that this can't go on for on go on forever but that's when we start changing exercises and stuff and then from there i might start looking at increasing or decreasing tempo so that pretty much controls how much time under tension your client is experiencing per rep per set uh, and then total volume throughout the week with that meaning how much and, and i always go back to this quote that i heard a long time ago is that muscles are stupid they only understand tension what that means is that your body doesn't know how much, you're, how much weight you're lifting. Your body only understands that it's feeling weight for a, you know, a long or short period of time. So, time under tension manipulation or tempo manipulation week to week is great. If you increase tempo in a particular exercise or, or in a particular repetition, you're probably going to do a little less weight, but it doesn't matter because the tension, the time under tension might be more even though it's less weight. If you're going to decrease the tempo, you're probably going to be able to lift more load. And again, all things balance out there. During the COVID shutdown, when I had a lot of people at home and we didn't have all the weights that we needed to get strong, that was one of the ways that we continue to make progress was really hammering home long eccentric or tempo training to make sure that we were challenged the body the right way. From there, I might increase sets from week to week. Maybe I'll do the same load. Maybe the first week I did four reps of, five sets on the back squat at 200 pounds. Um, And then the next set, I might take that to six or seven sets. Even though they're lifting the same amount of weight, they are going to be lifting more total load for the whole week, which we know helps to get people stronger. Maybe in that same example, I think I said uh, four reps by five sets. Maybe that next week I might say, okay, you're going to do 200 pounds, but instead of four reps at five sets, you're going to do five reps at five sets. Maybe they couldn't lift more than 200 pounds, inside of that session that day. So if I just have them do an extra rep each set, they are gonna be lifting more load over time. Maybe I increase complexity. In that same example, maybe the first week they had, you know, they were doing back squat, maybe the or box back squat, maybe the second week I might have them do just a normal high bar back squat. Maybe the week after that I might take them to a safety bar squat. Maybe the week after that I might have them do a one and a quarter safety bar squat. I just simply increase the complexity of the exercise from week to week, allowing them to progress and, and continue to get stronger and get closer towards their result. And then from there, then and only then, may I might manipulate uh, things like rest periods. So maybe I had them resting two minutes in between each set the previous week. Maybe I might take them to 90 seconds instead. Maybe I might take them to three minutes with the hopes of them lifting more low. Like all these things can be interchangeable, but I prefer to, to change one small thing from week to week to make sure that I keep as much control over what my client is experiencing as possible. Now, step number six, make it fun, guys. We have to keep it fun. Again, this maybe this counters a little bit of what I said before about the science to, to, to fun ratio, but this is how you can make it fun without negating the other things that you're trying to do. Exercise changes, like I said before, maybe I don't increase the complexity, but for maybe the first week I had them do dumbbell reverse lunge. Second week I might go dumbbell forward lunge. Maybe I might have them do uh, dumbbell or split squat instead or uh, an RNT split squat or something of that nature. Sometimes just changing an exercise from week to week can allow your client to get that just enough change to continue to enjoy the program. Maybe I might change the order of the exercises. Maybe in week one they did back squat Romanian deadlift and neither one of those are really a focus so maybe week two I might do Romanian deadlift and then back squat second just sometimes changing the order of exercises is often fun Um, and then from there to keep it fun something I love to do with my clients is to use what I call intensity multipliers so that could be you know something like a cluster set where you do you know two reps rack the bar pick it up two reps rack the bar two reps, rack the bar, and it's technically a six-rep set, but they're probably lifting more low because they get a slight break in between. Maybe I might do rest pause, maybe I might do one and a quarter reps, wave sets, accommodating resistance. I mean, there's so many different things you can do to change things up, and again, you're gonna do most of the time on this on the first two lifts of the day. Sure, can you do it on other ones? Maybe, but for the most part, if you're gonna use intensity multipliers, maybe you do it on the first two sets and a lot of times if you just add in something fun like that your client completely forgets that they're doing the same program from the previous week and you still get your science and they get their novelty or their fun okay now from there another way to keep it fun and something that I love to use some clients love it some really hate it is to use a deload right when you're when you're building volume or load or Intensity over the course of three, four, five, six, eight, 12 weeks, depending on what type of program you have written, uh, whether it's group or individual. Sometimes just having a week where things are a little bit easier is going to be something to just give your client that that breath of fresh air that they need, that little just pause button in their hard training and uh, allows them to really enjoy it because typically in a deload week, once you come back the week after that, you just feel great. You're ready to just crush and lift everything in the gym and, and perform at high levels and you just feel good. Sometimes the aches and pains go away, the inflammation goes away, and again, you're just feeling better. And If you're feeling better, you're probably having more fun. So that's another way to keep things fun and to keep it fresh for your uh, clients. Now, the question becomes well, Cody, how do I bring all this together? Um, in most cases, guys, I think a lot of people will do really well. This is my general recommendations for most people. If you if you want to know all of my training recommendations around training age and stuff like that, I wish I had looked up what podcast that was. But there is a, the, a podcast titled "How to Know How Much to, to Work Out." If you check that out, I'll go in. I go into depth. I go in depth on how often a person should work out depending on where they are in their fitness journey, whether beginner, intermediate, or advanced. But in most cases, my general recommendation is three to four days full body resistance with some aerobic conditioning mixed in there is going to be a great way to approach training so what i share in my template that i'm going to kind of leave you guys with at the end of today's show is going to be a full body template and uh, one that i actually just built for one of my online clients um, who is specifically just working on wanting to to be more like an athlete essentially was kind of the quote that they shared with me so um, I don't, I'm don't. i not going to share the warm-up here, but there is a dynamic warm-up that you would want to make sure that you add in. But the first exercise, right, exercise A for the day is going to be a seated box jump. Three reps by five sets. Again, I'm working on that power explosive, that, that nervous system priming for the day. And, uh, again, if you go back to the ordering for step number three, I talked about power coming before, depending on what the, the focus of the day is. So seated box jump, three reps by five sets. Rest about a minute to two after that, just making sure that we're being explosive and we're getting a good extension at the top of every jump. Letter B might be something like a trap bar deadlift. Again, we're going into our strength realm with the strap, the trap bar deadlift or the main focus of the day. We've got 3 reps by 4 sets at a tempo of explode off the floor, pause at the top, 2 seconds on the way down, 1 second between the next rep. Rest 2 to 3 minutes, progressing load as they go, sticking to tempo. Again, I've covered my 3 rep range. From there, I'm going to move into C1, C2 so we've got a strength antagonist set here. We've got dumbbell, I'm sorry, strength super, head set, super set here with a dumbbell split squat, eight reps each side by three sets at a two second descent on each rep mixed in with a dumbbell floor press, 10 reps by three sets with a two second descent on each rep there. So that's your first super set. We've got a single leg superset with a pushing horizontal motion. And then D1, D2 is going to be a dumbbell row, 12 reps by three sets, two-second descent here, and then supersetting with a core exercise in the bent knee hollow hold, 30 to 40 seconds by three sets, taking a rest period after every every one of those supersets, obviously. But you can see I've done my power, I've done my strength, I've done my hypertrophy, I've done my, my muscle endurance work after that, and I've covered... Uh, I've done three reps, I've done eight reps, I've done 10, 12, and then finished, and I've got all of my exercise patterns in there that I shared in the exercise selection step. Now, then and only then may I do some optional aerobic work at the end. Um, if, you, if you have a client that is, a uh, performance based result is what they're seeking. <clears throat> then we got a whole another conversation to have around when to place your anaerobic training and when to do your your a-lactic lactic work. And again, not going to jump into it in this show, but if we're talking specifically results, that is going to be a great example for building a template specifically for results-based training. So again, guys, that was really the six steps. I'm gonna go into this with my team on uh, this upcoming Monday. Uh, This will come out, obviously, after that. But I hope this was helpful for you guys. I hope you were able to hit pause and and write some of these things down and uh, take them into your training program and write good, effective uh, workout regimens for your clients. Guys, thank you so much for joining me on today's show. And listen to me ramble about program design, something that I love to talk about and can talk about all day long for the past 38 minutes, actually. So thanks, guys, for joining me in today, and I will see you on the next episode. Thank you so much for spending some time with me today and tuning into the Virtuous Fitness Podcast. I release episodes every single week. You can find me at Coach Cody Smith in the gym at Virtuous Fitness WA on Instagram to stay up to date with all things Virtuous Fitness. Before you go, head over to iTunes and give this show a rating review. That is how we grow this show and make it even more impactful for you. Thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you on the next episode.